Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, and this is the Better Off Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to our friend James Altucher. James is a serial entrepreneur, and he's going to have a lot of discussion about failure and what you need to know. I've had plenty of successes since I started writing about failure, but also I've had plenty of failures because I've gotten comfortable with it. It's almost like learning a third language. I say, okay, this has happened to me before. It's not that failure ends, it's that you want your bounce back time to get shorter and shorter. You don't want to get depressed about it afterwards. All that and more next on the Better Off Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment. This is the show that provides unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and your life. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. We got great feedback on our first show, my interview with David Bach, the author of The Automatic Millionaire. And I know you guys kind of liked that I went at him a little bit around the whole latte factor. If you missed the interview, just go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or any other place where you get your podcasts and check it out. We'd love for you to download it. Give us your feedback and please rate us on iTunes. Unbelievably, Mark, the best producer in the world, tells me this matters. So give us a rating and we would be so happy if you did that. And if you've got a financial question, stay tuned because at the end of the episode, we'll have a variety of ways that you can get in touch with us. So this is the part of the program where I look back a little bit, tell you the most important thing that happened in the past week or so. And I would have to say it was the December jobs report. Finally, 2016 in the books, it was a pretty good year for job creation. But what was notable about that jobs report, wages finally starting to move. And this got me thinking, it's the time of year where people are starting to consider, hey, what am I doing about my own career? And, you know, this is a great time to actually say, hey, the labor market is improving. What do I need to improve to get my life together? And we're going to start talking to a number of people who help concentrate on how you can actually improve your best asset. That's you, how to improve your human capital. And that might require that you undergo a self-assessment. Sometimes we don't like what we see when we look in there. I know I don't. I hate listening back at my voice. It's like the worst thing ever, but it's the only way we get better. So go ahead, take a look at that, and try to plug into some resources and to some people who are going to enhance you. That is what I have done. It's also why I actually invited our next guest on one of the early shows of Better Off. James Altucher, a serial entrepreneur, is a guy who is constantly trying to reinvent himself. And one thing James is not afraid of, he is not afraid to fail. You're going to be very delighted at this interview because he says that pretty much the smartest financial thing he stopped doing was thinking he was such a smarty pants. And what a relief to have that out there. You don't have to beat the market. You don't have to drive yourself crazy. You have to kind of put that investing on autopilot. You have to buy into or just accept the evidence that over the long term, active investing is not where you want to be. You want to be a passive investor. As James says, thinking you know anything about investing is pretty much stupid. So he says we should assume we're idiots Maybe that's why he kind of likes the whole robo-advisor platform. And so without further ado, James Altucher. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. All right, this is just so exciting. One of my favorite people, one of the best guests from my radio show over the last six years ever. I think That is a high honor, Jill, and I'm always excited. 
James Altucher, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, James, and Jill, may I say, yes. sorry for interrupting, but congratulations on this brand new podcast. I thank you so much. It's so much fun. It's uh, it, It's been a slightly, like a, a sliver of the radio show, right? It's like, it's a smaller uh, broadcast. It's a little different. And the best part is that I get to take people who I've met along the way, who I find incredibly interesting and have fascinating stories and able to put them on the podcast and say, let's do something a little different now. All right. You I'm, ready? I'm, I'm game. Okay. Best money decision you've ever made? Best money decision I've ever made was to stop investing money. I actually think using kind of, you know, passive robo-advisors, things like that are, are fine. I think going on a limb thinking you know anything about investing is the 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 stupidest decision you can make. So once I realized I was stupid, I finally started making better investment and money decisions for myself. So so what I stopped doing was I stopped putting huge chunks of money in stocks I think that would like go up by multiply by 10. I stopped doing as much venture capital investing and when I did, I did it in much smaller amounts. So I basically just always assumed I was an idiot. And so for instance, if I buy a stock I don't say I'm smart. I say, "Oh, Warren Buffett bought this stock 50 points higher. Now I'm getting I'm getting Warren Buffett's stock 50 points lower. It's as if he worked for me for free, the richest man in the world." So then I know, okay, if I'm stupid, then at least Warren Buffett is more stupid than me, which is impossible. So I probably did something okay then. Okay. So that's when I started making some smarter money decisions. And you know what's so funny? So in your Wikipedia listing, and you have one, by the way, James Altucher is an American hedge fund manager, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and podcaster. He has founded or co-founded more than 20 companies, including Reset Inc. and Stock Picker, um, and, uh, he's, and says he failed at 17 of them. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the program um, is not just because you have all those jobs and not just that you have a brand new book called Reinvent Yourself – but that you are very comfortable talking about failure. And I find that fascinating because I am too. And I always think it's like, oh, the old trader in me. Like, because you, when you trade, you fail all the time. Like, you make bad choices, right? Right. But at the same time, particularly in the financial industry, there's this shame factor around failure. So I remember one time I was raising money for a fund and I had written about my failure and the, the the guy didn't know me before we were in the meeting. He's starting to read like my book. And he's like, how can I invest in you? You lost all this money. And I said to him, can you find a single person out there who hasn't made some bad financial decisions? And, you know, everybody will say, oh, but you picked this one stock in 2004 that, that went down 80%. Yeah, but okay, I p- picked some other stocks that did well. Like, we're, nobody is perfect. And yet somehow uh, you turn on like... CNBC or whatever, and this is not critical of the station, but everybody's like wearing their suit and tie and like saying, well, the economy is definitely going to go down with Trump or up or up this way or that way, or they're going to raise interest rates and that's going to crash the economy. Nobody knows anything and nobody checks their facts. Nobody studies history and they just spout off like their opinions and they're supposed to be experts, but they're, half the people are going to be wrong anyway. 
So, but they don't, nobody owns up to it. And you know what's fascinating about that? I interviewed a guy from DFA, from Dimensional Fund Advisors, and they're really into passive investing. And he said to me, you know, when he realized that there was like Nobel Prize winning theory about how nobody can actually beat the market, he's like, I felt relieved. I didn't have to worry about that. I could just be a passive investor and feel kind of like, okay, now I can do other stuff. And I think that's like, there's like a freeing part of that instead of thinking there's some man behind the curtain doing something. Uh, it's so true. I really, the, the, the years of agony thinking I could be smarter than the other 8 billion people on the planet is just, I wish I could, that's the one regret I have is I wish I could somehow take those years back and tack them onto the end of my life so I have them back somehow. But, but you can't do that. Right. And you wouldn't be who you are. So you've got all these jobs. Which one do you really like doing the most? Well, I love the, the only ones I really love doing is I, I love writing and podcasting. So and they each feed the other because and, and, and along there's kind of a, a silent partner to writing and podcasting, which is reading a lot because you have to you know read and study and prepare and, and learn new things. And, and, you know, to some extent, this is the part I don't like is when you also have to experience life to have things to write about. I don't really like experiencing life that much. What do you but, mean by that? That's ridiculous. Wait a second. Because all right, I let's met... Be, let's I, be honest. Okay. Tell me this. If this is not true for you, I'm fine with it. Okay. But don't you like just spending a day at home, binge watching TV, eating like cake... Yes. And reading. Yeah, of course. And hanging it's, out with your loved ones. Totally, totally. But but that's part of life. And and so when you say you don't want to experience life, what is it about what is out there that you don't want to experience? Okay, I don't I get really ner like if I'm invited to oh, come to this networking dinner. This person will be here. This person will be here. This person will be here. This it'll be really good for you. You'll meet all these people. They're all fascinating and and, and I like, you know, learning new things. But it's really hard for me to get up and go out, and I'm a little, I'm shy, I'm introverted. I have to really, here's what I have to do. If I'm going to a dinner, let's say it's 7 p.m. at night, mm -hmm. starting around 10 a.m. that day, I have to prepare. So, A, I have to watch maybe three or four hours of stand-up comedy, just so I can, like, kind of get in that mode of, like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'll, I'll touch that funny side of myself. Uh, then I have to... Uh, Google each person who's going to be at the dinner. And then I'll start reading books they've written or articles they've written. And so when I meet them, oh, oh yeah, I read your PhD thesis you wrote in 1973. That's actually happened. And they would be blown away. Um, but I, I really have to spend a lot of time to get myself ready to go. Uh, you know, I'll take a nap. It's like I'm going into training. And so, wait a second. So when I first met you, I listened to your Minimalist podcast. I heard it. I loved it. I tweeted at you. I said, oh, come on my radio show. And you responded almost like immediately. It was amazing. And then we met. And did you, before meeting me, read up on me? Yeah. Because you were so, like, totally natural. You were so easy. I, I got along with you in five seconds. First off, I get asked to go on a lot of podcasts. I go on. I went on yours. <laughs> So that so, was very lucky. Well, I liked you, so oh, that's uh, nice. so I was happy to be there, happy to be here. But uh, but yeah, then what's the point of being? Once you're out of place, what's the point of being nervous? Like this is the this is the time we hang out together is on the air. All right, so let's go back for a second. So you know you you've had this amazing career, and you talk you do talk pretty explicitly about failure. And when you meet you and you interview a ton of people, a lot of self-helpy people, a lot of really interesting people, 
Um, what is it that you want to get at when you get people to start talking about the things that have gone wrong in their lives? What is it that you want to explain to your podcast listeners about that? Well, two things, really. So I want to know, you know, I don't want anybody to tell me how to be a better leader or how to be a better manager or how to be more charismatic. I want to know when they were not a good leader and this is why they did the research to become a better leader or a better investor or a better entrepreneur or a better musician. You know, every good thing that's ever happened in life has happened because bad things were happening and someone came along and said, I'm going to fix this. So, so for instance, how does someone get to be a good musician? So I've had a lot of musicians on the podcast or a lot of writers. First, they were bad musicians and they kept with it and they were starving and homeless and broke and other things were happening in their lives. And they realized, okay, I need to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z to become a better musician and to succeed. And so then what I'm interested in is two things. A, permission to fail. And B, this is how you reach peak performance after you've gotten that permission to fail. And, you know, like I don't want there to be failure in um, aerospace engineering, right? Like, but that would be a bad place. We don't, we hope that that doesn't happen, but of course it's going to happen. And I guess I'm wondering when you think about... You mean, do you mean that in a way that when you're on a plane, you don't want it to crash? Yes, exactly. Well, I'll tell you my strategy because I used to be afraid to fly. Okay. So now whenever there's turbulence, I get that initial fear. And, but then... I think of the TV show Lost. Have you ever watched the TV <laughs> yes, show Lost? Yes. So they, this plane crashes and all these beautiful people survive on and the island. And you're hoping that you're one of them? And the island is magical and great things happen. And there's like Kate and Shannon and all these great people. And so I figured, okay, well, this tur- it started off the very first scene. There's turbulence. Yes. So I figured, okay, I'm going to the island of Lost now. This okay, is great. Okay, that's not so bad. But I mean, so so in thinking about failure and giving people permission to fail is one of the reasons that I always sort of had like, um, I don't know, I was like suspect of these places where they were like, failure is not an option. Or, you know, I work at GE under Jack Welch and, you know, Six Sigma, blah, 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 blah. Because it, because it seemed to me that in, in business and in corporate culture, once you make it taboo to fail, if someone does fail, they're not going to tell you. And then you're screwed because then you've got a problem where people are covering up mistakes. Well, look, look the, uh, the greatest recent example, and by the way, GE is an interesting case study as well, but the, the, the most extreme recent example is Madoff. So the only thing Madoff has really said about his crime was the fact that he started out some fund. We don't really know when the crime started. And he was basically ashamed that it wasn't working out for him. And, and he was afraid to tell everybody. So he couldn't admit failure. And it resulted in a $60 billion Ponzi scheme. Just simply the fact that this one man was afraid to admit a tiny failure. So, you know, an inconsequential failure in retrospect compared to what happened. And when you think about like even the financial crisis where there were things along the way that people kept seeing or maybe trying to raise the alarm and then the the higher ups may have been like, oh, no, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine because it never happened in the past. Like, oh, we never have had a housing crash in the past. So why would we have one in the future? I mean, it, it seems so crazy to me in in all of our jobs, in all of our lives, if you can say of course I'm going to make a mistake. You don't have to even call it like failure. Like it seems so judgmental. Even that word seems judgmental, but only because of the judgment we bring to it, not because there's really anything wrong with it. Failure, it doesn't end. It's like nonstop because success is what's incredibly rare. 
I mean, look, uh, I've had plenty of successes since I started writing about failure, but also I've had plenty of failures. So, uh, I mean, 2015, I had like an enormous like uh, financial, I was on the board of a company where I had millions of shares and that company collapsed. I lost a ton of money. Oh. And, uh, but what, what, because I've gotten comfortable with it, I, it's almost like learning a third language. I say, okay, this has happened to me before. And, and, and so, so it's not that failure ends, is that you want your bounce back time to get shorter and shorter. You don't want to get depressed about it afterwards. And do you think that, you know, going through that experience, how it shaped you going into 2016, how, what, what did you do differently in 2016 as a result of that failure in 2015? Uh, I think what was great was looking at that experience in 2015 and realizing, oh, all of these things I've been writing about since 2010, I have a chance now to practice it again. I, I, it's been a couple of years since I had a chance to practice it. So it turns out it worked for me and it was great. Um, the other thing is I had failures in 2016. And uh, so what I did was instead of doing the typical thing was, oh, these people were evil or they were jerks or they screwed me, I, I leaned into the problem and said, okay, what I've noticed in the past is that every time I kind of just accept really quickly what happened and now look for positive things to, to push me forward, that works out really well. And that's what ended up happening. I kind of re restructured an investment I was involved in that wasn't going well um, because of other people in the investment and, and so on. I realized I need to surround myself with different people. I managed to, I don't know, transfer things around. So have one group of people sell their investment to another group of people and it all worked. Rather than get into this whole state of panic and, and uh, anger and fear and hate, you know, I just kind of leaned into it and said, this is happening, things have to change. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. You've just been listening to our guest, James Altucher, essentially say that thinking you know anything about outsmarting the market is what he calls stupid. That's why he mentions passive investing as a potential tool. And of all the types of investors out there, what did he say? He said robo-advisors like our sponsor, Betterment. I came to the passive investing altar about halfway through my 30-year career in financial services. I started as a trader. I became a certified financial planner. And through all those years, I saw so many different approaches to investing, people thinking they had some magical answer. And yet so few were willing to admit that it is the passive approach to investing that makes the most sense. That's why I'm so happy that Betterment is the sponsor of this podcast, because they really do walk the walk and they talk the talk. Betterment relies on time-tested investing principles. Basically, they know that based on data, there is no consistent way to beat the market over the long term with active trading. They apply those principles with transparency and with ease of use. They use great technology and focus on keeping your fees and your taxes lower. That's so much more important than figuring out how you're going to beat the market. And here's something refreshing. Betterman cares that you actually reach your financial goals. That's why they keep their fees so low. See how Betterman can help you today. Better Off listeners can get one month managed for free. For more information, visit Betterman.com slash betteroff. And now back to our interview with my pal, James Altucher. What's harder, um, coming out of a failed relationship or coming out of a failed business experience? Uh, I think coming out of 
both are pretty hard. I think uh, I think coming out of a failed, it's funny because I'm probably better at business and I, I probably understand when problems are happening much sooner in a business than in a relationship. But when a relationship ends, you kind of sort of look back and say, oh, that's a relief that that ended. Because if it wasn't going well, you might you might as well not be in it. But uh, in a, in business, it's tied to other things. Like if a business doesn't work out, you think to yourself, oh, if you know, then the next 10 businesses might not work out. I'm going to go broke. I'm going to be homeless. Uh, nothing's ever good, good going to happen to me again. And that could just be my own psychology. Like my, my, my dad had a business and went broke later on mm-hmm. and kind of uh, had, you know, mental issues as a, as a result of that. So, so maybe I kind of project onto that as a little bit, but I don't know. I always feel when a relationship ends, okay, I'm going to just meet new people you're very you're very upbeat in a weird way i think most people would be surprised at how optimistic you are i actually find you incredibly optimistic that that and 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 it was funny because i was telling someone i was going to interview you and they were like that guy like he always talks about his failure it brings me down and i was like no that's like the upbeat thing it's just like you can come through it because we're all going to go through these failing moments in our lives we're going to come out of it and having that sense it's almost like I mean, I think of it almost like when someone, if you've lived through someone who's had a chronic illness or you've had a loved one die, it's almost like freeing to know that you can get through it. Like, I can get through this. I think that's a big pleasure, actually, to know that you can get through it. So that when you fail, look, failure triggers all these, you know, flight or fight, you know, instincts in us. And to know that you can um, again and again succeed in surviving what what could be a light what what our brain thinks is a life or death situation is uh is a big pleasure okay so you um have a number of books but the one that i had read and kind of got me into you was uh choose yourself and now you've got reinvent yourself so tell me about reinvent yourself what what is the premise of the book and what's new in this that you have discovered in writing it well uh i'll give a i'll give an example the other day i saw a job ad and the job ad was for self-driving car engineer wanted, right? Who? So, so now, you know, like Google's making all these self-driving cars, and I guess somebody needs an engineer to fix them when they break. Who, who would have ever went to college for this five years? Who would have thought this wasn't like just a science fiction job ad, you know, from, from the future, like five years ago even? So, so there's no way to train for this sort of thing. There's no way to, nobody could have guessed even just a few years ago that this job ad would appear. So, so the reason I bring it up is because reinvention is something that's happening at a macro level constantly. Like the world changes in ways that are so fast and so unexpected. Meanwhile, the economy is constantly changing. Uh, we, we have all these new technological innovations. Uh, so I'll bring up self-driving cars again. The auto industry might disappear. Uh, the, the media industry is changing constantly. The financial industry is constantly changing. So you have to be, at a macro level, you have to be on the lookout for how the, 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 the paths are changing that you initially, you're, you're, the map that you had in front of you when you graduated college, that map now is completely different. Like, and you know what's interesting about that, though, when you think about the election, is that so many of those like stories of people who say, you know, I want to go back in time or I want this thing, and that um, there, there were sort of a sense that like the world was changing too fast for some people, that like, you know, slow down. And, and you know what? I don't care if that's how you feel. The world is changing that fast. So how can we help people 
embrace that a little more. Right. So then there's the personal side of reinvention, which is that you yourself often need change to live. Like uh, chaos is just sort of part of the universe. And uh, you need sometimes people wake up and they say, well, I've just been going into this uh, cubicle for five years and it was great. I got promoted and I made money and I had my first kid and whatever. But now I want to um, uh, these these cupcakes that I make on my spare time that everyone loves. I want to make a business out of this or I want to write a, a vampire, sexy vampire novels or whatever. Uh, so so at different points, we all want to change. And usually it's not maybe not every month or every year, but maybe every four, three to five years we want bigger rather than smaller changes in our lives. And, and maybe every day we kind of have to plant the seeds for those bigger changes, like learning new skills, uh, understanding things. I, but I, I do feel like there are, you know, and I work with people like this, and I'm sure you know people, like there are some like the, like, for example, some of the old journalists who like lament how the media business is changing so dramatically. And I can understand that if you went into journalism 30 years ago and seen the landscape shift under you and and like it's almost like tectonic plates are moving and it feels like if I could just hang on to what I had but you can't it's not there anymore you can't and and next year you can't hang on to this year which is why you always have to plant the seeds for reinvention and it's not too it's never too late to start planting those seeds so so how do you plant them um I write about this in the book I I in, in addition to kind of sort of taking to the next level some of the things I write about in, in Choose Yourself about how the gatekeepers are going away and how you can get ready for that both personally and externally. I also write about this concept um, in Reinvent Yourself uh, called plus minus equal. So find your plus, find people you can learn from, uh, you know, whether they're mentors or virtual mentors that you read about or histor historical figures that inspire you. So, so every time I get fascinated by something, I write down 10 things I learned from it, like right away. So I, I read this book, uh, kind of this um, history of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And it wasn't so much how um, The Daily Show changed the way we view media. I really wanted to know how Jon Stewart was able to keep such a highly motivated group of people together for 16 years. So that show was on a straight up arc for 16 years. And so much talent came out of that, like Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Ed Helms, all these great writers and producers and actors and so on. And he just kept improving and improving. So what did he do to essentially reach peak performance? And so I just, after I read the book, I just summarized it for myself and wrote down the 10 things that I learned from it. So that's how maybe a little bit will stay inside of me, and when I reach that next point of reinvention, I can pull something out and use it, and use it in my own life. And so that's an example of planting a seed and finding the plus. So then there's the equals. Find people who are in your cohort, in your peer group, and challenge each other, and uh, uh, question each other, and, and help each other, and, and, and you kind of grow up together. Like, Look, you're start, you've done a radio show. You're starting this podcast. I have a podcast. Uh, I've been on your show on this podcast. We've communicated in other ways. And we're constantly thinking, like, how is this format changing? How can we improve it? How can it be made better? So that you do with your, your you know, people kind of experiencing the same things as you. And then there's the minus. Uh, the best way to learn something that you learn from a plus is to teach something to the next generation or 
people who are coming up or whatever. That's how you solidify the learning. So plus minus equals equals reinvention. You know what I thought you were going to say about minus? I thought you were going to say get rid of toxic people. Like get minus, like less those people who drag you down or suck the air out of you. that is really important. So I do also talk about that, uh, uh, which is just every day you kind of have to prune the tree of your emotional life. And so there's constantly um, people who want to bring you down. So the more, the better you do in life, the more people who know you, by definition, that means the more people who think you totally suck. So if, if, if 20,000 people love this podcast, uh, a thousand of them or more are going to say, oh, but Jill always brings me down. <laughs> She's always talking about failure. This gets me depressed. So that's just a fact of life. So you, you kind of have to learn and develop strategies because that hurts. So you kind of have to learn and develop strategies to say, okay, well, that's part of the thousand or three thousand or five thousand people who are always, the better I do, the more and more people who are going to actively hate me. I love so, that idea. You could just accept it. Plus, it. It actually is a good thing. The right. more people who hate you probably means a lot more people like you. That's exactly right. I had to learn that like once you like go on television and people start writing in and telling you like your hair looks crappy, you look fat, your makeup is wrong, the color's wrong. And I was like, oh, you know, I already have a Jewish mother, but thanks. Thanks for the feedback. But- I was actually, I was, this happened 14 years ago. The first, I was on CNBC. It was the first time someone wrote me and said, you know, you're really ugly. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I turned to my wife at the time and I'm like, oh, why did they write this? Why so did mean. someone, why did someone take the time out of their day? They're like, they're like, they were like in the middle of their dinner with their babies and their wife Ugh, cooked a nice dinner. And they're like, excuse me, honey, I've got to send an email. It's I've got to find James Altucher's email address and write him how ugly he is. I'll be back for dessert. James Altucher, author of Reinvent Yourself. Also, uh, download his show, The James Altucher Show, which I love. Uh, before you leave, you ready? Yes. Every interview at the end of Better Off finishes up with this question. What is the worst money or career mistake you have made? The worst, superlative worst. I think, you know, this is abstract, but thinking that I was smarter than I was. You can't smoke your own crack. Like, this happens a lot. People start a business and everyone else can see, oh, that's a horrible idea. But you're like, no, this is my, this is great. It's my idea. And it's, again, a cognitive bias that if you put your time and energy and soul into something, your brain's going to think, oh, it must be great. Uh, But you have to make sure every day you're not smoking your own crack, whether it's about um, businesses, whether it's about investments, whether it's about relationships. Uh, I, I see this a lot with bosses and their employees. Every boss thinks they've hired the A-team, like the best, the Justice League of America is now working for them. <laughs> and it's just not true. Like most of the time their employees are pretty mediocre at best. And But you think that, oh, but I made the decision to hire them. They have to be the best. So again, just on every area of life, you kind of have to really ask yourself constantly, am I smoking my own crack or not? And today you're not. Uh, today I'm not. Today I'm exactly where I want to be. Um, and and it's time tested. I've been with you guys before. Exactly. It works. It's working for it's me. It works. <laughs> James Altitude, thank you so much. Thank you, Jill. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the Better Off listener question of the week. 
If you need a second set of eyes on something you've been thinking about, there are a couple ways to reach us. You can use Twitter at Jill on Money is my handle. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also send us an email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. Margaret writes, the job market's improving and I'm ready to have the big talk with my boss. I need to know how I can negotiate and be smarter about this process. Okay, I love this. I I did a segment uh, last year where I did a bunch of research on this. And it's so interesting because um, when you look at having these conversations around negotiations, there are lots of rules and theories like your best negotiating tactic would be don't make the first offer, right? And don't undervalue your total worth. Okay, but here's something kind of cool. There is actually some evidence that um, some of these old rules of thumb are somewhat outdated. Researchers at Columbia Business School found that, in fact, if you use a range of a salary projection rather than that single number, it could help you increase your total comp. Here is how it works. Let's say that you want a $100,000 salary. I know you're going to make more than that, but let's use 100 because it's a nice round number. If you want a $100,000 salary, you suggest, I want a hundred dollars to $120,000 salary. You know, and I'm presuming that you've done your homework and you've checked out that you, you know, you're worth this and you've got, you know, a prepared a number of remarks about what you've added in value to the company and why your performance is really worth this. But okay, this is really important because here's what they the research finds. In a series of experiments, these researchers said that the higher ranges led to higher salaries for a pretty simple reason. The employer is unlikely to go below or even the bottom end of your range. The key here is you want to set an ambitious number at the bottom range. Maybe it's that's the one you would have used as your single dollar offer. And you don't worry too much about the higher number at the top end of the range. Don't set the range too wide. Try to keep it, say, uh, within 20%. So make sure that other people in your field are making something comparable. Have examples of what you've added to this company's bottom line, how you've helped create value, what your role is, how you want to expand your role. Set the range. And then hopefully you get a raise. But the funny thing is, if you don't get a raise and if in that moment maybe the boss says, eh, you know what, not going to work, make an appointment and say, hey, you know what, can I come back to you in in three months, six months so we can talk about this again? Get it on the books and then you get another shot. Good luck, Margaret. Thanks so much for writing. Okay, that's another episode of the Better Off Podcast in the books. I want to thank James Altucher, friend of the show, serial entrepreneur, and a man who's reinventing himself constantly. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off Podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag Better Off. You can also reach me via email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.